We are in a series at the start of this year called Closer, and we've been going through the book of Joshua. So if you have a Bible or Bible on your phone, go with me to Joshua chapter four. Come on, this is the fourth week in the series, and uh, we've talked about how Joshua was anointed by God. He was called, um, but he had to wait for his, his vision to come to pass. In fact, between the time that Joshua got a vision of the promised land and when he actually would cross into the promised land, it was 40 plus years of waiting, waiting for a dream to happen and, um, and praying, believing, staying in God's presence. And so we picked up in his story last week, we, we talked about how he had sent spies into Jericho. They stayed at Rahab's house. God used a lying prostitute to reveal the glory of God. God, listen, if God used Rahab, he can use all of us in this room. All of us have a little bit of Rahab in us. All of us, what I'm saying is we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We, y'all are like, wait, what? No, all of us need the grace of God. How many of y'all need God's grace? Okay. Y'all are like, what am I raising my hand for? Uh, we all need grace. That's what we're raising our hand for. But we talked about how God use these Israelites um, to really reveal his glory. And, and it was a new generation. And um, Joshua had followed Moses. He had seen the Red Sea parted, but now he was seeing his own miracles. And last week we talked about how God parted the Jordan River, um, which was a big deal. It was a flooded river. It was huge. It was deep. And God parted that Jordan River for a million Hebrew children to cross over. And so just imagine moms, dads, grandparents, donkeys, camels, all of their cattle crossing over this Jordan River that was in a flood stage, springtime. It was, you know, lots of rain. And yet God moves the water and they walk on dry ground. And while they walked across the river, God said, choose 12 men from the 12 tribes of Israel and have them pick up 12 stones from the middle of the river and bring them with you to the next place I'm taking you. He had them getting out of a place called Shidem, and however you pronounce that, God wants you out of it. God wants you out of that. Like, they needed to get out of Shidem and cross over into the promised land. And so once they got over to the other side, which was the promised land, they had not yet taken Jericho. And this is where we pick up, Joshua 4, verse 19. On the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan River, and they camped at Gilgal. Everybody say Gilgal. Gilgal actually means the word rolling, rolling, like rolling stones. It's the place of rolling. And on the eastern border of Jericho, they were now in sight of Jericho. There was nothing between them and their promise. There was nothing between them and Jericho. Now, Jericho was the vision that Joshua had seen. Jericho was the vision that the spies had seen. It was their next step. It was the place that they had been praying for. It was the dream they had been waiting on. It was the vision that they had circled. Everybody needs a Jericho. Jericho represented God's promise to the Israelites. All of us in this room have goals, dreams. And let me just say this. You might go, well, I don't know if, if you could call my dream or goal a Jericho. Jericho just represents something that hasn't happened yet that they were hoping would happen. It represents a promise from God. How many of you are praying for some promises of God for your life? All right. How many are praying for God's will to be done in your life? 
You're not finished yet. Yeah, all of us should have something that's not yet that we're praying for, something we're waiting on. Maybe for some of you in the room, it's just to be healthier. Like this year, you're going, my Jericho is just to be spiritually stronger, like to, 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 to know more of God's will for my life. For some of you, Jericho is to have restoration in your house. You've walked through all kinds of strife, all kinds of brokenness, and you just, like Jericho represents a unified family for you. For some of you in the room, Jericho is you desire to get married and you have circled your Jericho. You are literally marching around him. You are going, Lord, I am praying. <laughs> he may not be God's will, but let me just say this. If God can be glorified through the dream in your heart, don't you discount it and say, God, God doesn't have a Jericho. If God can be glorified through you getting married, for some of you, it's to have children. Or maybe it's to adopt a child. Or maybe it's to be a foster family that takes care of foster kids right here in Oklahoma. Maybe it's a, a ministry or business or something, a book that you're called to write. A dream that you're called to fulfill. Whatever it is, don't let go of it. Joshua held on to it for 40 plus years. And now he was standing right in front of it. He was standing looking at the fulfillment. He, was, he could literally smell it. He could feel it. He, he could tell, this is what I was waiting for all these years. All the Israelites with him, they were so excited. They could feel the momentum. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones that they had taken out of the Jordan River. And he said to the Israelites, when your descendants in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? I think Joshua was a futuristic guy. Like if he was taking a personality test, a strengths finder test, I think he would score high and futuristic. He was always thinking about what's next. He was always thinking about the future. And he said, when, when we get into the future and kids are asking their parents what these stones mean, tell them that Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Make sure your kids, kids, kids know that the Lord your God showed up that he was not late, he was not early, he was right on time. That the Lord your God dried up the Jordan River before you. That God, who did miracles for Moses, is still doing miracles today. That the same God who showed up for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is showing up for your generation. Tell them that the Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea. That this is not his first rodeo. He knows how to handle whatever problem your kids are facing. Tell your kids that there's a God in heaven who sees them, who cares about the details of their heart, who's interested in the dreams and the promises that he has not forgotten. He is not slow to keeping his promise. Tell them that the Lord your God, look at verse 24, verse 24. Tell them that the Lord your God did this so that the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. The hand of the Lord is powerful. God does not have those little T-Rex arms like this right here. God has powerful, strong arms. His arms are long enough to reach your prodigal son. His arms are long enough to reach your prodigal husband. His arms are long enough to break those generational curses that trace back 14 generations in your family. His arms are strong enough to break off the strongholds that have been holding you back. Make sure your kids know that God is not a weak God, that he's not a shorthanded God, that he's not a God who doesn't know how to intervene in situations that look impossible. Make sure they know that the hand of the Lord Lord is powerful so that you might always fear the Lord your God. When Joshua gave this speech, the Israelites were filled with hype. They were filled with momentum. They could see Jericho. They could smell Jericho. 
They could, they could even see the, the produce that they had heard about. Back in Numbers, in the book of Numbers, they had been told 40 years prior that this land was the land flowing with milk and honey. This was the land with grapes and, and fruit and meat. In fact, I got, I got a cheese board with me today. These Israelites, they had been eating dry manna in the wilderness for the last 40 years, but now they could see the grapes. They could see the fruit. They could see the cheese. They could see the milk. They could see the honey. Come on, somebody. I'm rhyming up here about all this food. And watch this in verse one. The momentum is only getting stronger. When all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how God had dried up the Jordan River before Joshua and the Israelites until a million people crossed over that river, their hearts melted in fear. So watch this. The enemies of all of Israel are literally melting in fear. They've completely surrendered. They've waved their white flag. They're saying, we can't even stand against you. They no longer had the courage to face Israel. Somebody say, let's go. Let's go. Come on, this was a perfect time for Israel to just rush in and take Jericho. But that's not how God works. So in verse two, at that time, when they had all the momentum on their side, the Lord said, make flint knives and circumcise the men of Israel. Everybody go, ouch. <laughs> Hold up, wait, what? We were talking about milk and honey. We were talking about enemies running. We were talking about momentum, hype. And God says, make flint knives. You guys ever seen an illustrated sermon gone bad before? <laughs> no illustrated sermons today. But I do want you to get a visual. <laughs> Oh, God, I love you guys so much. This is too funny. Um, so I need a volunteer. Uh, I'm, kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All, all the front row staff guys are just keeping their heads down. God told Joshua to make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites. I can already tell there's some people in the room going, what's, what's, what, what's the big deal? What's circumcision? I, I had that same question when I was in eighth grade. I didn't know what it meant. And I asked my Bible teacher and she was like, um, let me explain it like this. And she was trying to, you know, be very conservative with her words. And finally, one of the boys in the class just spoke up and said it. And I was like, ouch. And all the guys just cringed that this was a moment where all of Israel, these were not baby boys getting circumcised. These were guys in their 30s and 40s. These were guys in their 20s, mid-20s, like 29 years old. These were guys that just got married. These were guys that just had their, their first kid, maybe their second or their third kid. And God tells Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites. So in verse three, Joshua obeyed. He made flint knives and he circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth. Now, this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness. On the way, y'all are like, put the knife down. Okay, I got it. On the way after leaving Egypt. So the, their parents had been circumcised when they left Egypt and went into the wilderness, but this was a new generation. All the people that came out had been circumcised, verse five, 
but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. And so the Israelites had moved about in the wilderness for 40 years. So the first batch of babies that were born in the wilderness would now be 40 years old. So the 40-year-olds are going, hmm, and the 30-year-olds and the 20-year-olds. And they're listening to Joshua explain that the Lord told him to do this. And they're going, we were excited about the 12 stones. We were excited about Jericho. We were excited about Rahab. We were excited about all the parts of the story, but this is the part that feels like we just took two steps backwards. But see, God has to prepare you before he promotes you. God has to oftentimes cut some things before he promotes you into what's next. There's always a cutting process. There's always a painful process that precedes the promotion, the victory that God has for you. And it's never easy. When you look at scripture, every person God used went through some sort of pruning process to prepare for the greater growth that God had ahead of them. So all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them, in verse six, that they would not see the promised land that he had sworn to give to their ancestors, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place and these were the ones that Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. That is a whole lot of circumcised going on right there. He said the word about five times and he's not done yet. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. It's important not to skip the healing process. It's important to take time to get healed so that you can run faster, so that you can finish with perseverance, so that you can do what God's asked you to do. And it's never fun to go through a healing process. I remember when I broke uh, my foot and for an entire summer, all my friends got to swim in a swimming pool and I had to wear a cast. And that cast, that season of, of, of sitting out and, and experiencing my healing um, and, and being able to swim again and take the cast off, it wasn't fun. I remember that same summer I had to raise money to go on missions trips and I was walking through my neighborhood with a cast and I was selling Amish jam, which I don't know why I thought that was gonna make me a whole lot of money, but someone told me, buy, buy a bunch of Amish jam and then sell it in your neighborhood and you'll make all your missions money. So somebody convinced me to buy a hundred bottles of Amish jam. I kid you not, mom, you remember this? Yeah, and nobody drove me around. I just walked through 99 degree heat in the summer in Tulsa with a cast on my foot. And I was like, would anybody like to buy some Amish jam? <laughs> I think people were buying it from me because they felt bad for me. They're like, aren't you the pastor's kid? Can't they pay for your mission trip? I was like, no. They're making me sell Amish jam. And so I sold Amish jam that summer. I did go on that missions trip and I had a cast on the missions trip and uh, I played the part of Jesus, which was weird, raising from the dead, but still having a cast. I was like, he's Lord. And uh, <laughs> healing people, but still having a cast. So anyways, long story short, back to the story, the healing process. Um, they sat there in Gilgal, the place of rolling, the healing place. And it says in verse nine, the Lord said to Joshua after they had been healed, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. 
So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. And on the evening of the 14th day of the month, while they were camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. By the way, this Wednesday night, we're going to take communion together and we're going to remember what Jesus did for us. So the start of the conference, don't miss it. Wednesday night, Nights of Faith, we'll take communion together. And the day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. That same day that the manna stopped, God gave them a new menu. God gave them some new appetizers. God switched from manna to the land that was flowing with milk and honey. That same year, they ate the produce of Canaan. I want to title this message, This Pain Has a Purpose. Turn to someone next to you and say, this pain has a purpose. This pain, say it like you mean it. This pain <laughs> has a purpose. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. Let us leave encouraged, refreshed, reminded that you are for us and not against us. God, that you have not forsaken us. Lord, that we are never alone. And God, that you are constantly working in our hearts if we allow you to, to make us more like you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Thank you so much, Joshua. Well, why did God do this? Why did God wait until they were in the most momentum moment of their season, their journey, to put them in a very vulnerable spot? Why would God put them in a painful place right as they were getting ready to step into their promised land? Why would God allow you to go through something painful when you are literally doing nothing wrong. Like these Israelites hadn't done anything wrong. They've been following God. They've been crossing the Jordan River. And yet here they go through a very painful situation. And here's what I think God wanted them to know. Zechariah 4 verse 6, the Lord spoke to the prophet. And the prophet said, the Lord has said, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. I believe that God wanted the Israelites to know, you are not going to get the glory for this. You are not going to think that this was through your might, through your charisma, through your personality, through your skills, through your talents, through your last name, through your bank account, that you got the victory. I think God wanted the Israelites to know, this victory is going to be completely through the Spirit. What God was about to ask the Israelites to do would be crazy. He was gonna ask them to blow trumpets and shout and expect brick stone walls to break with a shout. The only way people would believe that that's possible is if they were weak and humbled enough to only be able to rely upon God. See, they had strength, they had power, they had confidence, they had momentum. Everything was going their way. And all of a sudden God says, I need you to be vulnerable. I need you to be humbled. I need you to prepare for the promise that I have for you. And this pain that you're about to walk through has a purpose. What we believe about God and his feelings towards us really does have a direct effect on how we live the rest of our life. If we believe that God is against us, then we believe that all pain is some sort of punishment from heaven, that we're supposed to experience misery. But if we understand that God uses pain to prune us and prepare us for greater things, then we'll be able to trust him through the process. When you look at the diamond that sits on your, your, your wife's ring or on your mom's ring, that diamond is beautiful, right? 
Like Ashley's diamond is beautiful. The diamond on, on Abby's ring is beautiful. But that diamond goes through a process. It's not just beautiful right off the bat. It has to go through a cut. It has to go through a heated process. Even Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. When you look at what Peter says here, verse, verse 6. 1 Peter 1, verse 6, he says, In all of this greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer. If Peter could talk to these Israelites, he'd say, I know it's painful right now, but this pain is not permanent. I know you're going through grief right now. I know you're hurting all the men, right? He's like, guys, I know you are in pain, but trust me, this pain will not last forever. But what Peter was saying here was not just pain of a certain kind, because sometimes we go, yeah, but he was talking about the pain of like preaching the gospel and being persecuted for your faith. And, and sometimes we go, you know, you're out of context, Paul. You are straight out of context not Compton, straight out of context in scripture. You, you, you're twisting this, but Peter actually opens it up. He says grief of any kind, trials of any kind. So it could be a trial you're walking through at home. It could be a trial you're walking through at your job. Could be a trial of maybe losing a loved one to COVID or maybe losing a loved one because of a sickness or disease. It could be that you're just walking through grief, that you're just in a season where you go, man, I, like I just feel like I'm going through something that's not easy. And, and I'd love to like believe our victory confession that my best days are in front of me. I'd love to believe that God is not finished with me yet. But if I'm honest, life has been painful. And Jesus promised that we would go through painful things. He said in Matthew 16, 33, actually John 16, 33, he said, in this world, you will have troubles of many kinds. You'll have trials. You'll go through difficulties. He never promised us a pain-free life. But he said, take heart, for I have overcome the world. What we need to understand when we go through pain is that God is not the author of pain, but he absolutely knows how to use it for his glory in our lives. Like when Joseph was abused by his brothers and they tried to kill him, there's, there's some people who theologically think, yeah, God's the one who put the jealousy inside the brothers to punish Joseph. He created the, the, the anger inside the brothers so that they would hurt him and throw him in a pit. God is not up in heaven going, I really want people to sin. I really want dysfunctional homes. I really want abusive fathers. God's not up there instigating trauma. He's not the author of pain. He's not going, oh, I really want to hit you with cancer this week. Right? Like, there's some people who actually believe God is behind the pain in their life. But John 10 verse 10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. You need to have a better understanding that God is a good God. But that doesn't mean he won't let you go through pain. And that's the contradiction. Because we go, okay, he's good. He's come to give me life. Life more abundantly. But circumcision is painful, Paul. Especially not have, like, I, I bet these grown men were going, couldn't we have done this when we were babies? Like, why did you have to wait till I'm 35 years old? You know, like if you were that guy and you're going, why didn't we do this when we didn't even know what was happening to us? Because we, we had three boys and we had to, you know, we did it in the hospital. <laughs> They're, they don't really know. They're all grown up. I mean, like they're six, seven, and, and three years old. They don't really remember it. But imagine having this procedure done with no anesthesia, no, no, like, nothing to calm you down, <laughs> nothing, to, nothing to help relieve the pain, no Tylenol. Here they are going through an extremely painful, vulnerable process. And God says, I'm going to use this for your good. I'm gonna use this for your good. Job 23, verse 10, when he was going through his own painful season, 
He said, he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Gold has to be purified. Gold has to go through a heated process. It's tested. James, who was also a follower of Jesus, he was one of the top three disciples that was close to Jesus. The closer you get to Jesus, the closer Jesus gets to your pain. And the closer he gets to the situations in your life where he goes, let me help you with that. Before there's a healing, there's a hurt. Before there's a, a, a crown, there's a cross. Before there's an empty tomb, there is a difficult season that we all go through. Consider it pure joy, James says, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, James opens it up here again. You're not out of context if you go, Paul, I'm going through a trial right now. And, and it has to do with like, I don't know, relationship or maybe you're lonely or maybe you're going through something. Maybe it's a habit or an addiction that you just feel so ashamed about. And you're trying your best to conquer it. And maybe you've walked through something or maybe you just lost somebody and you're going, I just feel like I am in this. I'm in a crucible. James says, okay, God does his best work when you are most vulnerable because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. This is to make your faith more genuine. This is to make your faith more real. What good is faith if it's all built on answered prayers? It's easy to show up to church when everything's going your way. It's easy to, to lift your hands when all you're eating is grapes and cheese and honey and milk and cashews and salted, you know, roasted, salted, whatever you, whatever you eat, you know. Like, it's easy to get excited when all is well. But God says, before you have that, I need to do something. Because that will taste much better on the other side. If you taste it before you should. Joseph, if you immediately see the fulfillment of your dream at age 17, you're going to miss out on the joy of understanding he is the God of the highs and lows, the hills and the valleys. He's the God who's with you in the pit. He's the God who's with you when you're accused of sins you didn't commit. He's the God who's with you when the butler forgets about you. He's the God who holds you and comforts you when brothers forsake you. He's the God who understands your pain more than anybody else. And if you taste that food too soon, you're going to miss out on the lesson of trusting in God because Jericho is just the beginning. There's battles ahead and God knows to handle the battles ahead, I need to prepare you for what you're gonna face. And I need you to trust completely in me. Don't put your trust in horses or chariots or bank accounts or last names or reputations or friends that are close to you or your salary or your job or your career or your personality or your charisma. Put your trust in the Lord and him alone. God was trying to get the Israelites to completely rely upon him, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. See, God is not in a hurry to get you to the promised land. God's willing to wait. I don't know about you, but I'm, I, like, I love just like, let's go. Let's do this right now. Let's make it happen. I'm an activator. Like, it's my number one strength. I'm like, let's do this. But God says, hold on. I'm more focused on who you're becoming than how fast you get there. I'm more focused on producing in you the character of the spirit than I am getting the walls to fall down in Jericho. So I'm gonna hold you here for a second and I'm gonna get you ready and you're going to still see the fulfillment of the dream. But God says it's going to be a process. So make flint knives 
and circumcise the Israelites, he says. I remember my senior year of high school, I just walked through something that was kind of painful and difficult. Actually, it wasn't kind of, it was, it was very painful for me as an 18-year-old. And I remember during that time, I was a worship leader and I would oftentimes go to a piano or a guitar to, um, to just you know sing or talk to God. And during that time, what I was facing, I, I ended up going in my bedroom and I didn't want anyone to see me. I didn't want my parents to see me. I just wanted to be alone. Have you ever been there before where you just wanna be alone? Like you're just so hurt. You don't wanna be around anyone? About five of us in the room? Anybody else? All right. And so um, I remember in that moment sitting down and opening my journal and my Bible and, and I was trying to figure out, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Pain is inevitable. It's not a question of whether or not you'll walk through pain in life. It's a question of how will you handle the pain? Because pain will either make you bitter or it will make you better. Pain will either purify you or it will cause you to become even more dark with your thoughts and with your feelings and with your frustrations and your anger. You either get closer to God because of pain or you drift farther from God because of pain. And so I was drawn close and I remember um, sitting down and opening my journal and I felt like the Lord just said these words to me. Humiliation is preparation for an acceleration towards your destiny. And he said, Paul, I know you're feeling kind of frustrated right now. You're feeling hurt, feeling humiliated, but humility is the path towards victory. That if you wanna go further, you gotta get lower. If you wanna go higher, you gotta get lower. And I was reading in Psalm 139 that day, um, search me, O God, the words that David wrote. Search me, Lord. I'm all yours. And I ended up writing this song that, that season. I was leading worship for our children's church. I had tried out for our youth worship band. I didn't make it. I tried out four times, and my sister still would not let me on the worship team. <laughs> I forgive her. We've talked about it since then. We reconciled. But I remember just that season, it was just kind of frustrating. And I, I, I ended up writing this song. Um, Search me, oh God, and know my every thought. Renew my mind, take my life, I'm all yours. And look inside my heart. Remove every part that does not glorify you, Lord. I'm all yours. I'm all yours. I'm all yours. Every part of me in the heart of me is all yours. And I remember the Lord just doing this deep work in my heart. And um, it's like he was using that pain to help produce in me a, a closer spirit to, to him. And I believe God wants to do the same for you in, in this room, that God will use what you walk through, those trials, to draw your heart closer to him. Well, then I went on and I, I ended up going to ORU and I applied for you know, different jobs. I applied to be the secretary in the English department and I did not get that job. I applied to be a, an intern for the theology department. They didn't give me that job. 
And the only job that I got accepted into was to be a janitor at ORU, event staff. And um, I remember we had to clean up the J.L. Johnson Baseball Stadium after every game. We had to clean up the Maybe Center after basketball games. We would be out there salting the sidewalks whenever it was icy uh, or rainy, cold outside. We were, we were up early and we'd be out late tearing down tables, setting up stuff. And I had that job for about three years. And, and one night I was picking up people's nachos in the baseball stadium. And um, I was frustrated. I was going, God, why, why? Like I have this dream in my heart to do ministry, to lead worship and I was getting the chance to sing some at, at our college ministry and uh, at Victory 3D, and I was getting the chance to help out with Children's Church, um, but I just felt like the dreams in my heart were so far from being fulfilled, and I remember picking up soggy nachos, like these chips were soggy. The cheese, the chips had just become soggy. They weren't even crispy anymore, and I didn't have gloves, and I'm just picking up nachos, y'all, with like little peppers on them, those little green peppers, and I was like, God, is this, is this what I'm going to be doing the rest of my life? And I was reading this, I was reading the book of John at the time. And I had just gotten to John chapter 3. And there's this moment where John, um, the Baptist, his ministry is literally shrinking. People are leaving his ministry to go and flock towards the new trending voice of the day, which was Jesus. And uh, the few that were left with him, they said, hey, um, aren't you kind of envious, jealous that people are leaving you to go and hear him? And he leans into the humility here. He leans into the embarrassment. He goes, oh, you don't understand. I must decrease and he must increase. I must become less and he must become greater. And I remember when I was there in the baseball stadium, the, the, the Lord was speaking. He said, Paul, humility is the path towards victory. Lean into it. In fact, I had tried out for the worship team at ORU, didn't make it. Then I tried out for the choir at ORU. I didn't make the choir. I don't know how bad you have to be to not make the choir. I was like, don't you guys need more voices? They go, yeah, just not yours. I was like, what? Do I have like a, an invisible sign on my head that just says reject me or something? I don't know. But I remember not getting to lead worship, not getting to sing in the choir. And, and these words started coming in that, in that baseball stadium that night. I must decrease, you must increase. Lord, I want more of you. I must decrease, you must increase. Lord, I want more of you. So empty me of all of me. Cause all I need is more of you. Lord, empty me of all of me. Cause all I need is more of you. And, uh, and I ended up recording it uh, with the band that I had. And I sent it to ORU my junior year. I said, hey, just wrote this song in the last year. Would you guys want to use it? And the worship pastor at ORU, they were getting ready to do a live album recording with Carrie Job, uh, Daryl Evans, Jared Anderson, all these great songwriters. And they said, this is a great song. And they were like, did you write this? I said, yeah. And they were like, when did you write this? I was like, when I was cleaning up your soggy nachos in the J.L. Johnson baseball stadium. <laughs> and they were like, we might use this. And they ended up calling me that next week. And they said, hey, we're going to use this song. I was like, yes. 
they're like, it's gonna be on the new album. And I was like, yes. And they go, we're gonna even let you sing in the choir. I was like, okay, but who's gonna lead this song? Because I wrote it. And they were like, your friend, Brad Fontaine. I was like, B-Rad's gonna lead this song? And they were like, yeah. I was like, why? And they were like, because your voice doesn't sound very good. I was like, what? I was like, my mom loves my voice. <laughs> Pastor Sharon. And uh, they're like, that's great, but you could sing in the choir. I remember singing in the choir. I was so jealous. I was so upset. We were singing, I must decrease. You mu I was looking at B-Rad. I was like, you must decrease. I must increase. I was so mad. It's a good thing I didn't have one of these with me. Come on, don't act like you haven't had crazy thoughts before. Y'all acting like you got a halo on your head. If I could put some of your thoughts up on the screen, you would all be running out of here. Some of you guys have had some crazy thoughts. I'm not saying I was gonna do anything. I'm just saying, let me sing my song. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> Let's get the band up here. We need to go into worship and altar call. <laughs> Circumcision. The process of pain. The purpose of pain. The purpose is to make us more like Jesus. You know, I came through that season, and, and honestly, I, I remember just realizing it is an honor to worship. It's an honor. It's an honor to be used by God. That it's an honor to be a child of God. God was stripping off entitlement. The reason that I needed to go through that process is because there was some sort of ego issue that God was trying to cut off. Because God cared more about me than what I did. God cares more about your soul than your career. And so God was working and he was, he was molding, he was shaping, he was doing this for the Israelites because he knew I want you to make it past Jericho. I remember when I was a kid, I used to look up to the basketball players that could dunk the ball and shoot threes and just phenomenal athletes. As a kid, I watched this guy named Tim Gill, Nonzo Azabuki, Kalina Azabuki. I remember watching all these basketball players and they, man, they could soar, they could dunk the ball, they could shoot threes, jumpers. I mean, they were just phenomenal basketball players. Going to ORU, I remember watching Earl the Pearl McClellan. I remember watching Eric Perry, all these great, Jay Henderson, all these great basketball players that were so skilled. And the day came when I made the varsity basketball team at Victory, and I was so pumped. I had all this glamour ideas in my head. I was like, I'm gonna dunk the ball. I'm gonna shoot threes. I'm gonna be like Azabuki. I'm going, you know, I was like, I'm gonna be like Michael Jordan. And my dad was like, it's gonna take a lot of practice. <laughs> and I was like, okay, thanks for the belief, dad. And, uh, Mercier, our coach, walks into the court, first day of practice, September, and this was my sophomore year. I was so excited to make the team. About 18 or 19 of us made the team. Me and Henshaw made the team. We had to share a jersey, but we made the team. We would switch off who got to wear the jersey every week. You remember that? Yeah. It was embarrassing. Circumcision. But anyways, I remember the first day of practice. Uh, Mercier comes in. He goes, up against the wall. And I was like, all right, we're going to go like dunk contest. This is going to be awesome. We're going to do like three-point shot practice. We're going to go five on five, and he's going to make us great. And he goes, for the next three weeks, Mills is taking over. Mills was the assistant coach, Mike Mills. 
he was, he was strong, he was tan, he looked like Ken from Barbie and Ken, cut off t-shirt, short shorts, whistle right here. And Mills, Mills walks in, he goes, okay, boys, we're gonna have some fun. It's conditioning time. And for the next three weeks, Monday through Friday, from 3 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. at the Bixby Champions Basketball Club, we had the most horrendous conditioning experience. We didn't even get to touch a basketball. We just ran. We ran, we did burpees. He called this one exercise suicides. It was like this intense, you had to run, run back, fall down, do push-ups, jump back up. We were puking everything we ate up for lunch. We were, people were passing out. He said, whoever makes it past these three weeks is gonna make it for the rest of the season. And sure enough, five or six guys quit over the next three weeks because they just couldn't handle the condition. It was so intense. And every time someone quit, the coach would nod his head as if he knew that person probably wasn't gonna make it. And he came up to me after those three weeks. I remember this, he said, I'm surprised you made it, Darty. He's like, you're hungrier than I thought you were. And I said, I just wanna be a part of the team. I just didn't know it was gonna be like this. He's like, it's not as glamorous as you thought it was. And I remember that season that we would face opponents that were gonna be harder and stronger and the conditioning paid off. It was the, the, it was the conditioning that prepared us for games later on. God, was knowing, God knew the Israelites needed this in order to make it later on. God knows that what you're walking through right now, even though it's painful, it's temporary, but it's preparing you for greater glory ahead. And once they got through with it, everybody say, this pain has a purpose. The circumcision involves a process of healing. They waited in Gilgal, the healing place, where God restored and healed and made sure that they had the strength to move forward. Until you humble yourself, the victory that you're waiting for cannot happen. But God does not send the pain. He uses the pain to prepare us for the glory. He's going to turn it for your good. God is not absent during those painful moments in your life. In fact, he's more present. He's close to the brokenhearted. Rather than ask, why must I go through this? Ask, Lord, what do you wanna do in the middle of this? What do you want to teach me? Once they were healed, then they were prepared for what was next. Notice that the, the, the appetite changed after this. That once they went through this, God said, all right, the manna is stopping. What you ate in the previous season is no longer what you will eat in this next season. What you were used to and the things that you grew comfortable with in the last season, you will no longer crave in this next season. You're gonna have a new craving. You're gonna have a new passion. You're gonna have a renewed freshness in your faith, in your journey. I want you to stand your feet all over this place. So when they crossed over in chapter five, watch this. It says that year, they no longer ate the manna in verse 12. Instead, they ate the produce of Canaan. In other words, they began to eat on the level of their vision. They began to eat on the level of their dreams. This year is the year that God wants you to rise to a new level. I was playing Mario with my boys this last week on Nintendo. And you make it a certain amount, and if you don't save it, you lose it all. Like, you gotta save how far you've come. Well, we had not come far enough to be able to hit, hit save, and so we had to start all over. We had to go back to certain levels and then progress, and then we were able to save it. 
And it just got me thinking, it's so important that while you're in the journey, salvation is free. It costs you nothing. The grace of God saves you. But once you're saved, then is the sanctification process. And this is where God begins to do the work in you. And for the rest of our lives as Christians, that work is never meant to stop. As long as you're breathing, you're still a work in progress. The second we think we've arrived is when we've gotta go back a few levels. And God says, all right, we're gonna have to play that level again, but it's okay. I'm not forsaking you. You're still in the game. You still got a chance. It's still gonna be great. But God understands this sanctification process takes humility. It takes work, it takes vulnerability. And then it prepares you for the victory. And I believe that this is the year that God says, I want you to go further than you've ever gone. I want you to see greater victory in your life than you've ever seen before, but it's gonna require total surrender. So I'm gonna ask us just to close our eyes all over this room. We're gonna take a few minutes to worship and we're gonna open up the altar here. And if you're here today and you say, I know that the Holy Spirit needs to do some work in my heart. There's some things that I need to surrender so that God can get the glory this year in my life. There's some stuff that I need to lay down. Could be hurt, could be bitterness, could be resentment, could be some stuff from your past, could be something you've been holding on to. It could be sin that you committed this week. It could be some things you just thought patterns, maybe a lack mentality, maybe fear, maybe it's anxiety. Maybe you're here today and you go, honestly, I just wanna live a greater life of humility this year. I wanna be vulnerable for the Lord so that he can work in my heart more. You could be a leader here. You could be a staff member here. Or maybe it's your first time to victory and you just go, honestly, I need to surrender. If it's the Lord talking to you right now and you're feeling that prompting in your heart, I want you to raise your hand all over this room if that's you. You're saying, yes, sir, that's me. Yes, yes, yes. All over this room. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, hands going up from the front to the back. You're saying, I need to lay some things down. I need God to work in me this year. I need him to cut some stuff out. I need him to remove some things so that he can get the glory in and through my life. All over this room, or if you're watching online, make that decision today. You are not alone in this decision. Secondly, if you're here and you go, man, I just need prayer. I need God's help. There's something I'm facing right now and I need the Holy Spirit. If that's you, raise your hand. We wanna pray with you. We wanna come around you today. You are not alone. You are surrounded by a community of believers of faith. And lastly, if you're here and you just say, I need to surrender to God. I'm not right with the Lord. I wanna get saved. I wanna be forgiven. I wanna know that my name is written in the book of life. I want heaven to be my eternal home. I'm ready today to surrender to Jesus. If that's you, raise your hand today. If you raise your hand for any of those, would you leave your seat? Come and meet me at this altar. We're just gonna take a few minutes. Yeah, we're gonna cheer on and, and celebrate what God's doing in your life today. All over this room, from the front to the back, we'll give you some time. We're just gonna worship. Let's go ahead and just sing to the Lord. Those who wait on the Lord. He's gonna renew your strength. He's gonna heal. He's gonna lead you. He's gonna restore you. He's gonna redeem you. Wait on the Lord.
thank you, God, for your goodness, your grace. God, thank you for this new year that you've given us. God, I thank you, Lord, even this week going into conference, Lord, that there's things you want to do in and through all of us in this church. God, I thank you for what you have in store for every person in this room, those watching online, those who have heard this word. God, that you would minister to them and through them this week. Lord, that you would do what you need to do in and through us, God, for your glory. And God, that you would utilize us to be vessels of your love, God, of your grace, Lord, of your mercy, of your peace to people around us. God, I pray, Lord, this week would be a week, Lord, that we walk in great victory. And God, that we see your hand move. In Jesus' name. Pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I'm all yours. I repent of my sin. I receive your forgiveness. Have your way in my life. I'm all yours. Thank you, God, for putting purpose to the pain I've walked through to make me more like you. I'm all yours, God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I love you. God loves you. Thanks for lingering today.